Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil alemin. Vessalatu vesselamu ala Seyyidina Muhammed ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ecma'in. Esselamu aleyküm ve rahmetullahi ve barakatuh. My brothers and sisters in Islam, the lives of the companions, they're amazing. And when you read any story of the companions or look into their lives, you find that they're all so unique and you think that each individual, there's no one else like him. And such is the case with Abdullah ibn Zubair radiallahu anhu. He was a unique individual. His life was unique. And the stance that he took later on in his life is an example of patience, courage and steadfastness for the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu until the day of judgment. Now, Abdullah ibn Zubair, he was further unique because unlike the other companions, they came, to, they, they came to Islam. They had to be convinced of Islam. So they became Muslim. They converted. Abdullah ibn Zubair was one of the children companions around the Messenger of Allah Wasallam. So he's one of the few that they were born into Islam. They had that honor from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that they had known nothing else except for Islam and he was born into Islam. Now this man... When you read his story and look at his life, you can see that from when he was very young, he was destined for greatness. He was going to have an amazing life. Purely by the fact of his lineage and of those people that surrounded him. Abdullah ibn Zubayr, he had a lineage that really most of the companions could not compare to. His father was a Zubayr ibn al-Awwam. And Zubayr, we know he's from the great companions of the Messenger of Allah the early converts to Islam. Not only the early converts, but he was known for his, his, uh, his, his battles. He was known for his courage. He was known for his bravery. And he was so brave and so strong and so courageous that Umar radiallahu anhu, when he would send reinforcements to an army, he would send them as Zubair and he would say, as Zubair is worth 1,000 men. I have sent you 1,000 men. So this was his father, Az-Zubayr ibn Awwam, one of the great companions of the Messenger of Allah And his mother was Asma'. Asma' was the daughter of Abu Bakr. Imagine. And she was known in the early period of Mecca for her bravery, for her courage, for her steadfastness. And later on, she was known for her worship, her taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And she was the sister of Aisha, the wife of the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So this is his father, Az-Zubayr, and this is his mother, Asma. And his grandfather was Abu Bakr, radiallahu anhu. Abu Bakr, the greatest man to walk upon this earth after the messengers of Allah, alayhi salatu wasallam. So you can see now what his lineage is like. His father, his mother, his grandfather Abu Bakr, his auntie Aisha radiallahu anha, and so you can see what he's surrounded by. So you can imagine his upbringing. You can imagine, and wherever he turns, there is knowledge, there is courage, there is bravery, everything that you can imagine. That all the best qualities, Abdullah ibn Zubair grew up with these qualities from the people that were around him. And when we look to how, to his birth radiallahu anhu, we find that his birth was unique. See, after the Muslims, after they migrated to Medina, the Muhajirun, every child that was born in the early period, the first year when they migrated, the children were dying. So now a woman was giving birth to a live child. 
Uh, so the, the Jews started a rumor that the Muslims, their progeny was being cut off and that there was black magic done on them and that they couldn't give birth to any children and their lineage and progeny wouldn't continue. So the Muslims, you know, they were in a bit of a state of a worry that the Muhajirun, after they migrated, there's no one, no one is giving birth to a child that is, that is living. So you can imagine that the, when Abdullah was born, he was the first child to be born to the Muhajirun after the migration in Medina. The first child. And so when he was born, all of Medina erupted in takbir. They were so happy and so joyous that they were, you need to, to get rid of the rumors of the Jews and you need that worry and that distress that no children were being born. That child, the first one to be born, was Abdullah. And the joy he brought to all of Medina. And when he was born, you know, there's a sunnah in Islam that when a child is born, a newborn, you perform something called tahnik. Whereby you get a date and you suck, chew that date a little bit, and then you put it into the mouth of the child so they can get a bit of the juices from that date. So who does the tahnik to Abdullah, the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? Imagine this child, Abdullah ibn Zubair, the first child born to the immigrants, and the first thing that enters his mouth is from the saliva of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa And the first, we know the son also on the newborn to do adhan and iqamah for the newborn. And who does that for him? His grandfather Abu Bakr. So you can imagine now just from his upbringing, imagine already the omens and the blessings upon this child. To have the tahnik from the Messenger of Allah sallallahu and to have the adhan and niqamah from his grandfather Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. Such was his upbringing. And now, as I said, because of his lineage, his, his auntie was Aisha, his grandfather was Abu Bakr, all right, he had access to the household of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So he was there you know, during this period of prophethood when the verses were being revealed, everything that was happening inside the house of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He had free access because Aisha was his auntie. And he used to access and going back and forth to Aisha so much that they used to call her Umm Abdullah, the mother of Abdullah. That he used to frequent her, uh, frequent her house so regularly, radiallahu anhu. So you can imagine now his upbringing, the qualities he, he's growing up with. He's in the house of prophethood. His auntie is the wife of the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He's witnessing all the public incidents, all the private incidents, all that knowledge and taqwa and ibadah and worship is being passed on to him, radiallahu anhu. So imagine what kind of blessed upbringing this is and the effects this would have on his life later on. So he grew up around the Messenger of Allah وسلم, and his auntie Aisha radiallahu anha. And from his father, he got different qualities. He got the qualities of, of bravery, of courage, of boldness. Because we said earlier as Zubair, he was known as the fiercest warrior amongst the companions, the bravest of the companions radiallahu anhum. And so when he was a bit older, about 8, 9 or 10, his father as Zubair would take Abdullah with him onto the battlefield. Now he wouldn't participate in the fighting, but he would leave him in the rear of the army. But he would witness everything that is happening. He would witness the campaigns, he would witness the bravery, the courage, the tactics that are being used. So this was the environment that he grew up in. 
And he's such so strong with this influence upon him that it is narrated that Abdullah, the first word that he uttered was safe sword. So you can imagine you know, the environment that he's growing up in. Now to show you, furthermore, you know, they were so engrossed in this environment of jihad, of courage, of bravery. The Urwa, his brother, Urwa ibn Zubair, he narrates that, he said about his father, he said, my father, he received some wounds during the battle of Badr. And he said, each, each battle after that, those wounds would open up. And I said, when my father was sitting down, we were around him, we would play with his wounds. The wounds that he received in the battlefield, when they would open up, they grew up playing with the wounds of their father, radiallahu anhu. This was the household. And so the example for us, the lessons from this is that your child, whatever character you want in them, whatever, however you want the upbringing to be, whatever qualities, characteristics you want in that child, you have to make sure that they are raised up in that environment. It's not enough to teach them. It's not enough to put them in Quran school. It's not enough to put them a teacher. But they have to see the living, breathing example of Islam in their lives. And that is the only way it is going to have a permanent impact. And that, char that, that, that characteristic, you know, those qualities are going to sink into them. So Abdullah, because of his upbringing, because of those that were around him, the qualities that he witnessed, it is said that the companions, they said, the sons of the companions, there are three qualities Three things no one can compete with Abdullah in. They said his bravery and his courage, he is unmatched. They also said that when it came to his worship, there was no one like him in his worship. And in his knowledge, there was no one like him. Three things that no one can compete with him. And these three qualities, knowledge, worship, bravery and courage, you can see where he got them from. You can see from his father the example of jihad, of bravery, of courage. You can see in knowledge he grew up with his auntie Aisha, the wife of the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. In his worship, he grew up in witnessing the worship of his mother Asma and his auntie Aisha, radiyallahu anha. So all of these qualities, in the end, they were they were they were they were in him, radiyallahu anhu, because of his surrounding, because of the people around him, because of what he witnessed. He witnessed Islam living and breathing around him. That's why he became unmatched in his qualities. And just to show you, you know, the mindset of how the companions raised their children, just to, to give you an understanding of how the psyche... See, uh, when, when there were still a young man, Abdullah, and his brother Urwa, and his brother Mus'ab, they were all sitting together. And they were discussing amongst each other. And they started speaking about what they will do when they're older. So Abdullah, he said, when I'm older, I want to be Khalifa of the Muslims. Right? This was his objective. I want to be Khalifa of the Muslims. And witness later on in his life that this came true. His brother Urwa, Ibn Zubair, he said, I want people to take knowledge from me. And later on, you will see he was one of the great scholars and he was the one that passed on enormous knowledge onto the Tabi'in. The third brother, Mus'ab, he said, I want to be the governor of Iraq. And he said something here, and he, really, it, it, uh, it's a bit unique. He said, when I grow up, there's two women, I want to marry them. One of them, was her name was Aisha bint Talha. She was known for her knowledge and her taqwa and her beauty. And he said, I want to marry this woman. 
Another woman, I for, forgot her name, but she was known for her worship. He said, I want to marry her as well. And when he grew up, he married both of those women. So to give you an understanding of, 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 of the psyche of the, of the companions, of the way they raised their children, they gave them objectives, they gave them goals. Even though they were still very young, they were thinking of, 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 uh, of the future, of objectives, of Islam. What do I want to do? What impact do I want to have? What do I want my children to be? And this is the example for us. What do we expect of our children? What do we want from our children? Or what path have we raised them? What qualities do we want instilled in our children? We want them to be brave. We want them to be courage. Uh, to be courageous, we want them to be steadfast upon the truth, upon the da'wah, we want them to be knowledgeable. They have to see this example from you. That, that all those qualities have to be passed on from the parents for those qualities to be in the children. And then, how, what impact do you want them to have? See, so, do we actually sit and think in here for a moment and plan our lives? In 20 years, 30 years, where do I see myself? Where do I see my children? What do I want to become of them? What objectives do I have from them? You know, especially in this environment that we live in. You know, it's an environment of, of you know, just time-wasting, useless activities, you know, social media. Kids are obsessed with things that have no purpose. There's no goodness in them, whether in this world or in the hereafter. They're obsessed with useless time-wasting. TikTok, videos, social media, dances. What do we want from our children? Where do we see them? What environment do we, uh, do we want them growing up in? Do I think of the future of this ummah? Do I think I'm going to raise up men and women to lead this ummah as an example of this ummah? That they have the knowledge, they have the taqwa, they have the courage. When Islam is being attacked, when the Muslims are under pressure, that our children will be the shining example to the rest of the ummah, to the rest of the community, to lead them out of this darkness. So what do we see in our children? Are we raising them like the companions in the proper environment? That they see the taqwa, that they see the courage, they see the patience and steadfastness from us? And that we raise them to have an impact, to have a purpose, to have a goal, to do something with their lives. And so Abdullah ibn Zubair, this was the way he was raised. And we'll see later on the, the effects of this upbringing. So this is the first part of his life that I wanted to touch on. The way he was raised, his lineage, the qualities that were given to him from those that were around him. And later on in the second part of his life, we'll see the way his upbringing, the effect that it had, uh, the objectives that he was given, the character that he, that he had been given, the courage and bravery, later on the impact it had in his life as an example for the Ummah of Muhammad Wasallam. So that was the first part of his life, the way he was raised and his upbringing, radiallahu anhu. Now, to see the results of this upbringing, I want to fast forward a bit in history, move on 50 years, 60 years or so, and to look at the latter, latter end of his life, the end of his life. And to see, you need all this upbringing, everything that he was given, his lineage, what impact it had on him, later on, radiallahu anhu, and what example it set for us. So before, before I touch on into to the second part of his life, the stance that he took and the example that we want to take from that, first we need a bit of context to, um, to appreciate Abdullah ibn Zubair, his life towards the end of his life. 
So we know Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali, they were the Khulafa, and they were the leaders of the Muslims. At the time of Ali, just to give a brief recap of history and the context, at the time of Ali, there was a fitna amongst the Muslims, and battle was waged between Muawiyah and Ali over the leadership over the Khilafah. Now we know later on, Ali, he was assassinated by the Khawarij, and when Ali was assassinated, the only person that remained to be leader was, was uh, Muawiyah. And so, after Ali, his son Al-Hassan, he was supposed to assume leadership after Ali. But he brought about a peace deal, a deal was struck between Al-Hassan and Muawiyah to stop the bloodshed and the fitna amongst the Muslims, that he was give, give up his right, Al-Hassan would give up his right to the Khilafah and Muawiyah would become Khalifa. But after Muawiyah died, then the Khilafah would go back to Al-Hassan. That was the deal. And so Muawiyah, Towards the end of his life, he realized that he was getting old and his end was near. What he did was he wanted to put his son Yazid to take over after him. So after he, he dies, he wanted his son Yazid to become Khalifa. And now this for the Muslims, this was a big issue. Because this went against the precedent and the sunnah of the companions of the Lanham. They all understood that the issue of Khilafah was an issue of, of, uh, of, of shura, of consultation. That when one khalifa dies, you can't place someone else to be leader unless the Muslims consent to that person and they give that person bay'ah. Only then will that person become khalifa. Now Muawiyah wanted to go against this tradition. And he wanted to bring hereditary rule. What hereditary rule is, when one leader dies, a king dies, then his son will take over the leadership after him by force. By birthright. And so Muawiyah put forth this idea to the companions. And Abdullah ibn Umar, that were the companions that were still alive, Abdullah ibn Abbas, Abdullah ibn Zubair, Al Hussein, they all refused this. They said, You can't do this. This, this issue of Khilafah, it's sure amongst the Muslims. You can't give it to your son as a hereditary type of rule. But Muawiyah went ahead against the opinion of the companions and he put his son Yazid as ruler after him. And he forced the Muslims to give bay'ah to Yazid by force. So the companions, they saw this as a corruption of the hukum of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when Muawiyah died and Yazid assumed the Khilafah, this is when rebellion broke out in the Ummah. Abdullah ibn Zubair, al Hussein, the sons of the companions, a lot of rebellion broke out in the Ummah and they rejected and they refused Yazid because of this issue. Because they saw it that the, the Khilafah, it must be chosen, the Khalifa has to be chosen by the Muslims. And in their eyes, there were still great companions alive, like Abdullah ibn Umar, like Abdullah ibn Abbas, like Abdullah ibn Zubair, that were more worthy and had more right to the Khilafah than Yazid, who was not known to be a man of great knowledge or that, that righteous. So the Muslims, most of the Ummah rebelled. So rebellions broke out in, in, in Iraq, in Medina, in parts of Asham, in, in, in Mecca. And the Muslims, actually the Muslims of Mecca, they came to Abdullah ibn Zubair and they gave him the bay'ah that he will be the Khalifa. And so the Muslims rebelled. And Hussein, we know the famous story of Hussein anhu when he was martyred at Karbala. Why was he martyred? Because he re rejected this idea of Yazid becoming Khalifa, that he forced himself on the Muslims and this, this issue of bay'ah was a right for the Muslims to give 
by consultation. So he went out to the people of Iraq that promised him, We'll support you, we'll give you an army to fight Yazid. And we know the story when he went there, they betrayed him, عنه, and Yazid sent his army and they massacred Hussein and, and all of his family members. But Al Hussein now he set the precedent that the companions saw this issue of Khilafah, of Bay'ah, this is a transgression against the hukum of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It was not an issue to be taken lightly, an issue to be passed over, something where we can ignore as long as the other laws are being implemented. No, they saw this as a grave issue, an issue that Al-Hussein set forth to fight for, to shed blood for. This is how the companions, the sons of the companions, they saw this issue, radiallahu anhum. It was a big deal. As Al-Hussein was martyred for this cause, radiallahu anhum. And then Abdullah Abdul Zubair, he took up this cause after Al-Hussein radiallahu anhu. So the Muslims, in, 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 without going too deep into all the details, but basically he took, uh, the, people, the, the people of Makkah came to Abdullah ibn Zubair, they chose him as, as their Khalifa and they gave him Bay'ah. And most of Al-Hijaz, Yemen, uh, Kufa, he put a governor in Kufa, a governor in Medina. So a lot of the Muslims rebelled, most of them rebelled, and they accepted Abdullah ibn Zubair as the rightful Khalifa of the Muslims. Now Banu Umayyah, which was uh, the family of Muawiyah, they couldn't accept this. So what they did, they raised an army and they had the plans to put down all this rebellion and that the Khilafah belongs to them and they will force themselves over the Muslims. So if you, the Muslims, won't give bay'ah and you're giving bay'ah to Abdullah ibn Zubair, we're going to force you and fight you until you give bay'ah back to Yazid. So over a period of 20 years, where Yazid was Khalifa, then when he died, his son Muawiyah became Khalifa. Then his son died and Marwan ibn al-Hakam became Khalifa. And then Marwan's son Abdul Malik ibn Marwan, he became the Khalifa and the leader of Banu Umayyah. And so over a period of 20 years, what they did was they raised an army and they went to all the areas of rebellion one by one and they put them down, all of them, until they assumed control of the Muslims once again. And so basically the way they did this was they had uh, two strategies. One was they had a lot of wealth and so they would win you over through wealth. So give up your rebellion, come over to our side, leave Abdullah ibn Zubair, we'll give you authority, we'll make you governor, we'll give you leadership over armies, we'll give you wealth, we'll give you whatever you want. But give up this rebellion. And the other tactic was they put Army generals that were ruthless, like Al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf. Now these leaders, they were absolutely ruthless. They had no mercy, they had no rahmah. They would shed blood like it was nothing. So especially uh, one of the generals, Al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf al-Thaqafi, he was known to be so ruthless. The Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, he said that if all the other people brought together their tyrants and gathered them, and we only put forth Al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf, he's enough to overcome all their tyrants. He was such a tyrant. He was known for that. And so this is what Banu Umayyah, this was their strategy. To go, f- to go forth, put down all the rebellions using these two strategies. With them over through wealth and positions or be so bloodthirsty, so ruthless that you would scare them into submission. And this is what they did. So they went to Al-Kufa, they put down the rebellion there. They went through a sham, they put down the rebellion there. They went to Medina, they put down the rebellion there. And they, in Medina, in the, the narrations that came out was really ruthless. There was a, 
really big slaughter. And most of the, you know, the residents of the Medina were the, the sons of the companions, anhum. But this is the way Banu Umayyah were. They were so ruthless. And they left an example for the rest of the Muslims that if you stand against us, this is what we'll do to you. This will be your end. And so now all the rebellions over a 20-year period were put down. There was only one rebellion left. And that was Abdullah ibn Zubair radiallahu in Mecca. And so Abdul Malik ibn Marwan, he sent his general Al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf, he sent him to Mecca and he besieged Mecca. So he lay siege to Mecca. And so basically over a four or five month period, no one was allowed to enter and no one was allowed to exit. No food was allowed to enter. Basically they were being starved to death. And so now you can imagine the situation inside Mecca. Abdullah ibn Zubair and the people that received the news that he lost Al-Kufa, he lost Al-Madina, he lost all his supporters and the rest of uh, Al-Hijaz. And now there was no one left except the people of Mecca. And now the people of Mecca, they were under siege. They were starving, they were thirsty. They feared Hajjaj was not on top of their heads. He was going to cut their... They were all going to be killed if they kept resisting. And their ruthlessness was so much that they used catapults in the Haram, in Mecca, on the Kaaba. Such were their tactics and their ruthlessness. And so you can imagine now the mindset of the people of Mecca, witnessing this around them. They're starving. They've been under siege. They know Al-Hajjaj is coming. The stories, his ruthlessness, has, his stories have preceded him. And so one, slowly, the people start deserting Abdullah ibn Subair. The people desert him, his army deserts him, even his family desert him. And now Abdullah ibn Zubair is by himself. And he only has a handful of men left with him. Where does he go now? Who does he turn to? What does he do? In this moment of weakness, everyone has deserted him. Where is he going to get his strength from? And what happens next you know, is a really uh, an incident that you, know, you will not find anything like it in history. It's such a unique and amazing moment what happens next. In his moment of meekness, Abdullah ibn Zubair, and now by this time he was 73 years old. So he was doing all of this, he was 73 years of age. He was an old man. Who does he turn to? Asma' his mother radiallahu anha. Asma' was still alive. And at this, at this time she was 97 years of age. 97. She was so old radiallahu that she was blind. But to show you that, to go back earlier to his lineage, to his upbringing, when you create the correct bond with the child, when you give them the correct upbringing, that bond is unshakable. It's unshakable for life. He's a man, 73 years of age. He has all the wisdom. He has witnessed everything in his life. Battles, incidents. He's been the leader of the Muslims. You need, what advice does he need? Yet in his moment of weakness, after all of this, he goes back to his mother, radiallahu anha, for support and encouragement and advice. And this is the bond between the parents and the children, especially the mother and the children. So he goes to his mother, Asma. And he says, peace upon you, O mother. And she says to him, unto you, O Abdullah. She says to him, Abdullah, what brings you here? Because she knows what's happening in Mecca. And she says, the boulders of Al-Hajjaj, the catapults, they're raining down on the Haram. They're shaking the house of, the, of Mecca. He says, O mother, I came to seek your advice. 
She said to him to seek my advice. She says, about what? She said, oh mother, the people have deserted me out of the fee of Hajjaj. Or being tempted by what he has to offer. He said, even my children and my family have left me. He said, there is only a small group of men with me now. And however strong and steadfast they are, they can only resist for an hour or two more. And that's it. And he said, Banu Umayyah, Abdul Malik ibn Ruwan, he sent me his messengers and they're negotiating with me. And they're offering me. They're offering me, give up my cause. And they're offering me whatever worldly possessions that I want. But to lay down my arms and swear allegiance to Abdul Malik ibn Murwan. He says to her mother, what do you think? So Asma'a this elderly woman, blind woman, she raises his voice and she says, Oh Abdullah, this is your affair. And you know yourself better. If you think you are right and that you are standing up for the truth, then persevere and fight as your companions who were killed under your flag had shown perseverance. She's saying to him, if you are fighting for a worthy cause, if you believe this is the truth, then why don't you go and die for the truth? Die for like those men that supported you died. She says, but if however you desire the world, what a miserable, miserable wretch you are. You have destroyed yourself and you would have destroyed your men. He said to her mother, but I will be killed today and there's no doubt about it. She said, that is better for you that you should die than you surrender yourself to Hajjaj voluntarily and that Banu Umayyah should play with your head. He said, oh my mother, I do not fear death. I'm only afraid that they will mutilate me. She said, oh my son, there is nothing after death a man, that a man should be afraid of. She said, skinning does not cause any pain to the slaughtered sheep. So if you're dead, what does it matter what they do to you afterwards? They skin you, they crucify you, you're dead. No, no harm is going to come to you anymore. So Abdullah's face beamed. He got the words of encouragement that he needed. He got the strength and the reinforcement that he needed. So he says to her, what a blessed mother and blessed be your noble qualities. He says, I have come to you at this hour to hear what I have heard. He says, Allah knows that I have not weakened or nor despaired. He is witness over me that I have not stood up for what I have out of love for this world and its attractions, but only out of anger for the sake of Allah. His limits have been transgressed. Here I am going to what is pleasing to you. Say, if I am killed, do not grieve for me and commend me to Allah. She says to him, O oh, Abdullah, I shall only grieve for you if you are killed in vain and in an unjust cause. So she says to him, Fearing that this is their last meeting. She says, come close to me, my son, so that I can smell you and hug you for one last time. Imagine this moment between the mother and the son. Imagine the tenderness, the heart of the mother, that she'll never see her son again. But to not give in, to still push him to what pleases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even at her own personal cost. So she says to him, Abdullah, come close to me, so that I smell you and feel you, for I fear this is our last meeting. So Abdullah kneels before her, remembering that she's blind. She hugs him, she kisses him, she feels his face and neck. And then as she's hugging him, she feels that he's wearing armor. She says to him, what is it that you're wearing, Abdullah? What is this? He said, oh mother, this is, this is my armor. She says, my son, this is not the dress of one who desires martyrdom. She says, take it off. It will make your movements lighter and quicker.
And this was the last meeting of the mother and son. She gives him the reinforcement that he needs. She reminds him of his father, Zubair, his grandfather, Abu Bakr, his, 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 his grandmother, Sophia. She pushes him to the service of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to martyrdom. And so he leaves her, anhu. that was the last meeting. So he goes out with a few, the handful of men that were left and he fights them. And they said that he fought them so ferociously that even though they had an army, they could not overcome him, even though he was 73 years of age. Anhu. Such was his strength and his courage. But eventually from all the catapults, they said some stones fell on him and crushed him. And so when he died, the army of Al-Hajjaj erupted into Takbir. Imagine, they erupted into Takbir at the death of Abdullah. And who was here witnessing all of this? Abdullah ibn Umar. And he was old now, over 80 years of age. And he started crying. He said, Wallahi, I was in Medina. I witnessed that when he was born, the Muslims, he was the first child born, and the Muslims, Muslims were making takbir at his birth. And now you are making takbir at his death? He said, By Allah, the ones that made takbir for him when he was born are better than the ones that make takbir for him when he's dying, at his death. So they took the body of Abdullah, and to show you their brutality, their ruthlessness, they crucified him and hung him up in the haram as an example for all the Muslims. And Hajjaj said, I will not bring him down until his mother Asma comes to me and begs me to bring him down. When Asma, she came for, she came and they took her to her son. She stood up in front of Al-Hajjaj and he said to her, Oh mother, Abdul Malik, he ordered me to be good to you. She said, I'm not your mother. I am the mother of the one that you have slain. He said, I have heard the Messenger of Allah say that we should witness a liar and a tyrant come from Thaqif. And we have witnessed a liar and I think by Allah the words, the tyrant is you, none other than you. And he expected her to beg him to bring him down. But she said, isn't it time? Amal lihad al-faris an yanzil. It is not time for this night of Allah to come down. Al-Hajjaj, he felt so little that he had him brought down. But this was the courage of Asma. She should, stood in front of this tyrant and she told him the words of his truth to his face. Anha. And she fasted away a few weeks after the death of her son, Abdullah ibn Zubair. Anhu. And this is the death of the Abdullah ibn Zubair. And this is the example that he set forth for the Ummah Muhammad Wasallam. His patience, his steadfastness. We said the qualities that, that he grew up with, that he gained as a child, that he gained due to his upbringing, the objectives that he had for his life to have an impact on the Ummah Muhammad to change the situation of the Ummah Muhammad So when he saw the situation of Banu Umayyah, how they forced themselves on the Muslims, how they took the bay'ah and they forced the Muslims to give bay'ah to the Khalifa, even though the Muslims didn't want Yazid, they didn't want Banu Umayyah. And so when Abdullah ibn Zuray saw this incident, he knew that this was falsehood. He knew that the limits of Allah, the hukum of Allah was being transgressed. And so he stood up for what he believed was the hukum of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to reinstate it. And so he was willing and he stood up to shed blood for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he was willing to persevere and to be patient with whatever outcome because of his stance, because of what he, he stood for, because of it, whatever the outcomes were, he was willing to bear them. He was willing to be martyred and die for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
when he believed this is the hukam Allah, this is the stance that needs to be taken, he took that stance, and he was example for the rest for the rest of the Muslims at that time, and for the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. When you see munkar, when you see falsehood, when you see the limits of Allah subhanahu wa taala being transgressed, then how could you see idly by and ignore all of that? Move on to something else as if nothing is happening. But these are things that the companions, the sons of companions showed us that you, if you need to lose your life for this cause, then you lose your life for this cause. This is the example of Abdullah ibn Zubair radiallahu anhu. That was his upbringing, that was his lineage. And then the results of his upbringing was the stance that he took and the stance that history has recorded that he stood up against tyranny, he stood up against falsehood, that he was martyred for that cause when the rest of the Ummah gave up on that cause. And they allowed this right of the Ba'a to be taken away from them. And they allowed corruption to come in. And we saw, if you read history, the outcomes of that. Abdullah radiallahu anhu set the sunnah, set the example for the Muslims that this is the stance that you need to take for the causes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you need to lose your life for that cause, you persevere and you lose your life for that cause. And so when, you know, when we narrate these incidents, they're not just history. They're not just you know, times where we feel sad over because of the fitna that happened amongst the companions and a lot of the companions died and the Muslims fought each other. It's not something to gloss over or just to be sad over what happened. But this is the sunnah of the companions. This is an example for us. How they lived and breathed Islam. How they stood up against falsehood, against tyranny. How they stood up for the hukum of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How they died for the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. History, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala records it for a purpose. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says this very clearly in the Quran. لَقَدْ كَانَ فِي قَصَصِهِمْ عِبْرَةٌ لِأُولِي الْأَلْبَابِ Indeed, in their example, in their story, is a ibrah. Is a, is a lesson, is an example for those men of understanding. So this is the life of Abdullah ibn Zubayr anhu. And when we look on his life, yes, it was a sad period in Muslim history, what happened between the companions. But let us look at the way he was raised, how he grew up in the household as an example of how to raise children on the method of Islam. How to give them the characteristics of, of courage, of bravery, of knowledge, of taqwa, of worship. And then their objectives that you set for them to have an impact on the Ummah Muhammad When this Ummah in future, you shall need leaders, men and women to guide this Ummah, to be an example for, for this Ummah, to persevere on the deen. This is the example for us of Abdullah ibn Subair radiallahu anhu. Aqulu qawli hadha wa astaghfirullaha li wa lakum. وآخر دعوانا الحمد لله رب العالمين والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته